I don't remember where I heard the story, but I'll never forget it. Pastor was thinking about canceling a worship service on Sunday morning. I think it was a snowstorm or something to that effect. And uh, and right before there was nobody in the sanctuary, and right before the service was supposed to start, one of the old farmers comes into the sanctuary, and we'll just say his name was Joe. And uh, he says, "Well, Joe, should we pray and then head on home?" And Farmer turns to him. He says, "Pastor, if one horse comes to the trough to drink, do you do you give him a drink or do you send him home?" Um, and so, and so I said, "Well, ever ever since hearing that, I said, if, there, if there's one person who comes to worship, we're going to feast. We're going to drink uh, from God's word. So that's what we're going to do this morning from Second Peter chapter one. I encourage you to turn there with me. They were still in chapter one. Yeah, we're still in chapter one." Um, um, Looks like about four weeks that we'll be in this first chapter. But I'm not in a hurry because this is, this is the Apostles' farewell address. We're leaning in, we're listening carefully. As we get to verses 12 through 15 here, he's actually giving us the purpose uh, for this letter. He's prayed for the church. His desire is for them, for us, generations to come, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he has, he has begun to tell them what, um, you know, what, what this grace produces in the church. The question is, will the church remember? Um, how good are you and I at remembering um, gospel truths that the Lord gives us? Uh, but one of the ways we do that is through letters, just like this. And it's, it's going to convey the Apostle's message long after uh, his death. Uh, so let's read here at verse 12. The Apostle says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's thank the Lord for His enduring Word to us. Lord God, this is a Word that You have intended for us to read, to hear, and to meditate upon this day. And so we are are thankful that You have given us Your Word. A Word that feeds our faith, that feeds our love and dependence upon You. And so we pray that You would work this Word, that You would accomplish Your purpose in us in these moments. That the meditation of our hearts together, whether we are a large group or smaller in number, that it would be pleasing to you. Grow us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was the greatest party that never happened. Maybe you can recall what this was a few years ago, at least. um, That's how it was described. Billy McFarland, who was the CEO of Fire Media, uh, he wanted to hold what they called the Fire Festival. He was going to promote this app on how to you know, book different artists and musicians. And, and to promote this app, he, he was going to hold this festival, and uh, he along with, with several others, and they made these grand plans. The problem was is they had very little experience or oversight or foresight in how to do this. Um, they had you know, promised these luxury accommodations and these elegant meals. This was all going to be on a private island in the Bahamas, and uh, thousands of people paid thousands of dollars uh, for 
travel and the accommodations and all of these things to be a part of this festival. And what ended up having was it rained. They got, they got rained out. They ended up staying in tents that FEMA provided. And they all ate these, you know, whatever soggy sandwiches or, or bagged meals that they could find. Uh, it was an absolute disaster. Um, actually, it turns out that maybe the, um, those who had planned this knew a little bit more uh, about what they, were, what they were doing and the disaster it would be. Um, but these folks had such, such big dreams about what this would look like, but not the experience, not the competence to, to deliver on this and what they, uh, what they intended. And I was reading uh, Janie B. Cheney. She writes for World Magazine. And she makes some insightful conclusions about those with, with these big dreams and this magical thinking that surrounds us today. Magical thinking is simply believing that, that our thoughts, what it is we dream up, will affect those around us. Anything I dream of, anything I happen to be thinking is going to play out in the lives of those around us. And, and part of maturing and, and growing up, uh, honestly, to the lament of most of us, I think, um, is when this magical thinking of our childhood, that starts to be infused with reality. Um, dream big is what we're told. Dream big. That's what we're told by those that we admire. It could be actors or athletes or CEOs or even presidential candidates. But we don't hear is all of the details, the things that go into the planning, the, the failures, the logistics, everything else that, that makes the dream actually possible or achievable. And here's what, what Cheney says. She says, since we don't dream in details... The gaps between here and there are too readily filled with magical thinking. I thought, is that what we rely on today? Is that what we should rely on? Is this what we hope for? More magical thinking from those that we trust or those who would presume to lead. And I'll be honest, I could probably use some more optimism in my life from day to day. Maybe that's true of you. But... That, that optimism isn't produced by magical thinking. Uh, it comes from what we know is true. It comes from what we, we know is true of the past and, and have every reason to influence uh, the present and even the future. But the problem is, is we forget. We forget you know, the little things like the faces and the phone numbers and all the little details in life, we forget those things, but we also forget the big things like wars and cultural movements and governments and declarations and innovations and all those things that have shaped the way that we go about life right now. We forget. And when we forget, if we've ever known, then we're bound to repeat. Um, sin patterns personally. We're bound to repeat them within the church, within the land in which we live. So physically, our memories deteriorating, but spiritually, our memories also, uh, also forget. We forget who God is. We forget what He has done for us in Christ. 
in our hearts and minds, the, the more we forget, the more we grow cold uh, to the great truths uh, that we have. So we need reminding. Peter needs reminding, and he knows that he needs reminding. When Jesus restores Peter in John 21, uh, he does so in this threefold emphasis feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. A threefold reminder. And this repetition had a major influence on the disciple. He denies the Lord Jesus three times and then is, is restored, released three times. So Peter knows the importance of repetition. Being reminded for himself and its importance for the church. So, so here we have you know, even three times in these verses. I intend to remind you, verse 12, stir you up by way of reminder. There's 13. At any time... Uh, to remember, to recall these things in verse 15. So that, that's Peter's method of instruction. His way of feeding the sheep is by reminding them. So why, you know, ask why is this so important for Peter? That, that's the first question that we can ask and answer here. Uh, and then follow that up with, with Peter's intention. His goal is that the church would be fully established in the truth that they seem to know already. And how does remembering contribute to that uh, establishing? So we'll look briefly at, at Peter's priority and then stirring reminders for ourselves and, and for the church. So the apostle knows that he's nearing the end of his life. He knows that following Jesus could cost him his life. And now that time is at hand. And when Jesus spoke to Peter. He didn't give him the exact day or the exact time that he would die. But because of Jesus' words in John 21, Peter's expectant of this. Peter is now older. Things are happening that are outside of his control. Things have been put in motion that he cannot control. Decisions by Roman rulers that have been made for the church have been thrust upon the church. They're being made for him. And so we know he's writing from the vicinity of Rome. And very likely, this is the time the Emperor Nero had begun uh, targeting and torturing Christians. So the time to leave for Peter is at hand. To leave this tent, that's a language, or tabernacle. Think of the incar incarnation of Jesus. Again, we read in John's Gospel, he tabernacled among us. He took up residence in the flesh, in a human body and among humanity so it was that body that tent that was laid in the tomb that same body that was raised and it's that same body that jesus continues to inhabit in all perfection and glory now and for peter along with every other christian these bodies are indwelled now by the spirit of god so as a church together corporately we're temples of the Holy Spirit, just as true for each one of us in union with Jesus. We are walking tabernacles. And one day, just as, as Peter says here, we're going to lay aside this tent. We're going to lay it aside for a refurbishment like no other that we've ever known when our King returns. And we'll walk again in the very presence of our Maker. Think no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no no heart of man imagine what God has in store for those who love Him. As I mentioned, spending some time with the guys this weekend, we were 
talking about how God has made us body and soul and the rest that our bodies need if we're going to run this race of grace well. And over time, the church has very understandably so tended to focus on the heart, tended to focus on the life of the soul, our spiritual health, spiritual growth, because this is what endures. You know, our, our hearts, we can grow healthier and stronger even as our bodies begin to fade. In fact, I think we often find the, the strongest souls in those bodies who are the weakest and are the most vulnerable. But we need to take care not to neglect our bodies or seek to, I say, minimize or discard our humanity. Sin excluded. That part we want to do away with. We are image bearers, copycats of the Creator Himself, crowned with glory and honor in our humanity. You probably have noticed that in the most popular novels, the most popular uh, movie series, the stories that really capture our imagination are those with some type of enhanced humanity. Do you notice that? These are our superheroes. Um, you know, we, we don't want to just have Captain America on our team. We want to be Captain America. Um, and then we have what I'll call the humanity plus. You know, advanced technology. We're sort of, you know, to help our bodies to help our humanities, this part robot, all the way to the full cyborg Terminator Optimus Prime types. Um, plenty of, of human qualities, but without all that other stuff, like emotions and uh, you know, spiritual baggage and things. Um, those very things that make us truly human. True image bearers and not just the robots. And these stories captivate us because they really show a longing that we have been made for more. We desire more, an ability, a power, a strength, a perfection that comes only from a humanity free from sin. And that, that full restoration is coming. That's what we look forward to. But that restoration is not ah-human or unhuman. Great value, dignity given uh, to the body and God's Word. We see this in, in many different places without dancing around the reality of our humanity, uh, our bodies scarred by sin. There's a helpful uh, theology of the body. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, really verses 9-20. through 20. And I encourage you to read those verses today or sometime this week because they really help frame how to view our bodies, the tense that we inhabit now, bodies damaged by sin, they remain vulnerable to sin, and yet it's our bodies that have been saved by God, bought with a price. And here's where it really doesn't hurt for us to think about how a biblical theology of the body relates to the spread of a virus that's on everyone's mind right now. You know, we don't look to, to place ourselves at risk or to expose ourselves unwisely or unnecessarily, and to take those risks unnecessarily with our bodies, because we're, we're living in the already. Um, one way that we love our neighbors is to take necessary precautions. We get that. 
but we can also risk confidently and with great assurance because of the not yet, because of what is ahead for the Christian and putting off this body. So we care for our bodies because our lives are hidden with Christ. We care just as much or more so for our souls, the condition of our hearts before the Lord God. It was earlier in this week, I mean, so much has happened in the last 24 hours, but when the governor of Kentucky you know, encouraged uh, the churches across the state to, uh, to cancel their worship services for this morning. Now since then, you know, many, many more in, in states, even, even in our community, have done that. So we remain sensitive to this. We can understand the, the concern that and there may be a time when the leadership of the churches deems that necessary. That may be ahead for us, we don't know. But I still hope there are many churches, Kentucky and everywhere else, that have kept their doors open this morning and have gathered for worship. Not in defiance of the government or CDC recommendations or anything like that, but in recognizing that our response is not one of fear or panic or self-preservation. God cares for us body and soul. He has redeemed us body and soul. We have a hope for body and soul in the resurrected Lord Jesus. But there is a much greater danger than the potential illness or death of the body. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 12. I read several verses here. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. So let's pray that the Lord would redirect this fear that's all around us, maybe even within us, to a fear of Him, a fear that, that brings us to our knees in dependence and trust in our God. So Peter, he's encouraged the church here to make every effort in pursuit of godliness. And now in his final days, before he puts this tent aside, he's going to do the same. He's going to ensure that we can recall what this pursuit looks like. That is his top priority. And I think that in itself should stir us as believers. So here's we're moving from Peter's priority here to reminders. You know, Peter is not just coasting to the end of his life. He's not sitting back and saying, okay, I've been there, done that, time for you know, those behind me, the younger ones, to take over. He is not so resolved to his death, however many days the Lord may, may give him in this tent, that his spirit is crushed, or his desire is crushed. He's going to make every effort, be that a small effort, a monumental effort, to strengthen the church. That's his call. Right before Peter told Jesus that he would stand with him, that he would die with him, uh, Jesus had these words for, for then a very confident uh, Peter. He said, Simon, 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 behold, Satan demanded to have you 
that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Important language there. In verse 12, Peter says, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. That established there is to stabilize or strengthen. Peter's priority, his desire, is nothing less than to fulfill those words of Jesus to him. Right to the very end. Running this race faithfully to the very end. And our our efforts may look different. We may, as the seasons of life change, we may be changing lanes, but we're still moving in that same direction. Moving to that finish line of our eternal crown in glory. And it is true for all of us. But I think if the Lord takes you into your 60s and 70s and 80s and beyond, will you make every effort to prove the Lord Jesus? What do you want to leave behind to your children, to your grandchildren? Biologically, yes, but about spiritual descendants in the church. Reminding them of the very great and precious promises of God. I think I've sat with with dear saints, brothers and sisters, just in that final stretch of their race. And they said to me, Brad, I just don't understand why the Lord keeps me here. I'm tired. I'm hurting. I just want to go home. I just want to go home. Some of you know exactly what that's like to sit with a brother or sister in that moment. And we've just sat and we've wept together in that longing. And if I say anything at all, I say, I don't know the days that the Lord has planned for you, but I do know that with each day He gives, it's one more day to know Him more. One more day to love Him more. And to show all those who are running the race behind you that Christ is worthy to your very last breath. To the very last. The Apostle, he says to the church, um, he says the church knows this truth, is growing stronger in it, but he wants to to stir them up with this reminder. And this is a wake up. Wake up. Okay, don't, don't drift off in your knowledge of God and applying this Gospel. You need it more now than you ever have before. And with these, with these false teachers that we're going to be hearing about, you know, their ideas are starting to gain ground. This is no time to be caught napping. Interesting. Doesn't Peter know a little bit about napping? You know, there's some napping in a garden that I think he would look back with with great regret. Um, he sees the importance of continually bringing to mind the things of God. What he's learned of Christ. Um, you know, he said... Essentially, you may know enough now that you can take some hits. You can stand for a little bit. But you need to be, you need to be strengthened, established through constant uh, reminder where your real identity is. And I think it's a good reminder for us. Church, we can never outgrow or get over the Gospel and what Christ has accomplished for us. Sometimes we think we can You know, like the gospel isn't quite enough. Or maybe we need to hear something perhaps a little more interesting, dare I say that. Um, and then the bookshelves, the internet, you know, 
all full of teachers that will say that will say this in one way or another. The gospel, oh yeah, 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 we've got that. But here's what you need to do. Let, let's get on with it and do this. Okay. Which is no doubt an underlying perspective of the teachers that, that Peter is about to talk about. Grace, of course we understand grace. We've got that. Now look what we can do with God's grace. Every part of our Christian experience, every way in which we will grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus comes with a, a, a higher, deeper, richer understanding of the gospel. Who Jesus is, what He has done. The gospel transforms our hearts uh, in the way that we truly think about everything. The world, the church, relationships, family, authority, serving, suffering, all of those things. I think it was Tim Keller who shared that every one of our problems comes from a lack of orientation to the gospel. That's what we need reminding of. I need you to remind me of this. And I'll remind you of what God has done in Jesus and what that means for us in whatever situation or issue that we may be facing as a church a family. And when, when we're reminded of who we belong to, who we are as adopted children of God, that's what, uh, that's what fuel, that's the fertilizer for that vine of the Spirit and all that it produces. We're reminded of the goodness of Jesus who had no sinful desire and yet carried the punishment of our corruption. We can turn. We want to turn from the patterns that are so harmful to us and to our families. When we remember the affection of Jesus, it moves us to love. And the very portrait of this godliness is built on remembering and embracing the provision of God through the gospel. And so much like the, the knowledge language that Peter uses, this remembering that's more than just, oh yeah, intellectual uh, uh, remembrance. Um, I watched a few of these TED Talk videos on how to improve memory. Maybe you've seen something like this. And like other muscles, our minds can be exercised and there are techniques and tools we can use to remember large amounts of information. I watched a gal recite uh, 100, the first 100 digits of pi. You know, 3.14, da, da 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 That's all I pretty much have is 3.14. But she was a, a dancer and could memorize, you know, choreograph these routines and could memorize the moves and positions as she danced. And so she placed a, a position, a dance position with each number. And so she walked through this dance and could say the numbers as she as she did the dance. That's how she memorized it. Uh, really, how we remember things as human being is through, through the senses, through an image or a strange story uh, or a picture that we can attach to some otherwise very boring information uh, like, like the numbers of pi. Um, I did that for a lot of Hebrew vocabulary words which are now long gone. Um, so this, this spiritual remembering is an exercise. It must be must be consistent, but it's, again, it's more than just the facts. Remembering is an act of the will. It's imprinting the truths of God, hiding His promises in our hearts so that we cannot help but desire what Peter uh, desires in this letter. Um, shortly after we moved to Arkansas, we, uh, 
we learn of the Civil War reenactment that was happening. I probably mentioned this before. I think it was up in the Cabot area. And uh, it was fun to watch these, these men and women you know, go about this battle scene. And then afterwards, they had a uh, camp set up and they were all in the attire of the time and they, they tried to stay in character as you were talking to them. Um, it was just, just fascinating. And you think, well, how did... You know, they had to spend a lot of time thinking about, learning about that time period um, in order to communicate to us in that way, in order to, to share this with us. You know, if we're going to learn something and remember it well, what's the best way to do that? Beyond the, you know, the memory techniques of, for facts. is We teach it. Okay? We learn the best what we teach the most. And so this, this teaching, this reenacting, forces us to, to learn things well. As it did for this, this group in this Civil War reenactment. And that, that doesn't mean that we're all um, teaching in a formal sense all of the time. Um, but the very heart of our commission as disciples, the heart of discipleship includes teaching as a major component of that. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, Jesus says. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul exhorts him, he says, you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Sorry, it looks like only men are to teach. Sorry about that. (laughs) Some of you are smiling as you should be. Um, we are instructed, we rightly find you know, men filling the offices in the church and the, the teaching which is a part of that. But spend a few minutes with many of, of the women that I'm seeing here. Spend a few minutes with Melissa um, or Katie or Michelle or Sharon. Spend a, spend a few minutes with these gals and ask them whether there are opportunities to teach and to experience the spiritual growth that comes with this teaching within the church, or in a small group, or study, or at home. I mean, really, some of the finest teachers I know, some of the most mature disciples I know are my sisters in the Lord Jesus. Um, And if you have no desire to share the gospel entrusted, or what what it is we've been meditating on, we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing with it? How are we reminding ourselves, reminding those around us within the church of the truth that we've been entrusted with? There are friends who are gathered around the the bedside of Samuel Rutherford, who's a great Scottish pastor and theologian, most remembered for the letters that he wrote while in prison. But just before he died, someone close to him grabbed a, a pen I recorded these words. Dear brethren, do all for Him. Pray for Christ. Preach for Christ. Do all for Christ. Beware of men pleasing. The chief shepherd will shortly appear. With those words, uh, Rutherford entered his eternal reward. Um, So as a church, uh, we cannot stand next to Peter's bedside with with a pen in hand. So he takes the pen for us uh, and puts his last words uh, to paper. Words that still speak. Think of Hebrews 11. It says, even though our forefathers in the faith are gone, 
their lives, their words still speak. And these words, which we're going to consider more next week, Lord willing, they're not magical thinking. Here's how Janie B. Cheney ended her article. We serve a God who is not only supremely competent, but the master of detail. From the design of the butterfly's wing to the order of the cosmos, while tending to the details of ordinary life, we can still dream big, as long as our dreams are compatible with His. These words are remembering the faithfulness and grace of our God. Everyday remembering, not just exercising our minds, but exercising uh, our hearts. Delighting in the truth that we've been given. The very truth that is uh, life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, help us in remembering. Remembering who You are, what You have accomplished for us. Remembering who we are as adopted children in the family of God. Lord, we pray that You would grow in us a desire to recall, a desire to remember. Lord, if we show us how we can exercise our spiritual memories as we make this journey of faith together. Lord, we thank You for those who have gone before us. We thank You for our last words from the Apostle who makes every effort to the very end that we might know now, that we might recall Your faithfulness and Your love for us in Christ. Lord, may it be our desire to make every effort to recall ourselves and for those whom we share life with and those who come behind us to see Your faithfulness, to see Your love. We thank You for Your Word that shows us this. We pray this all in the name of the living Word, the Lord Jesus. Amen.